0: I'm John Fort, anchor and technology reporter for CNBC Business News. You're listening to the Fort Knox Podcast.
1: I mean, when when kids ask me today what kind of businesses they all want to talk about tech, I think getting into the energy business broadly defined, which would include Tesla, I think there's going to be far as many opportunities to make a difference there as, as anything we'd find in information technology.
0: There's a story about former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer throwing a chair across his office and hitting a table with it. This story has become a piece of Silicon Valley lore. Now, Microsoft isn't in Silicon Valley, it's in Washington State near Seattle. But the story is a piece of Silicon Valley lore because of the reason Steve Ballmer allegedly threw the infamous chair. He wasn't aiming at a person, he didn't hate his table, he was fired up because one of his engineers was leaving to take a job at Google. Google. And Google is in Silicon Valley. Welcome to Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I'm John Fort from CNBC. This is a weekly podcast bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or on Google Play. Tell a friend. I had the pleasure of covering Microsoft and Steve Ballmer for a good stretch during the past two decades. I got some time with him recently in Rancho Palos Verdes, California, at the Code Conference. Coming up is our conversation, lightly edited. Let's get this out of the way, and I can say this freely now because he's not the CEO anymore. I like Steve Ballmer. I like him partly because he's different. Most tech CEOs aren't built like offensive linemen. They're built more like field goal kickers. And if you claim they've thrown a chair across a room... It would only be believable if it were a small chair and a very small room. We gotta sit down or it'll look like you're about to pounce on you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I will. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve Ballmer's around 6'3, and I won't guess his weight because, you know, I'll probably be seeing him again soon. I believe he probably threw that chair. I, I believe it because I've seen how fired up he gets about Microsoft when he's on stage, when he's just sitting there, one on one, talking to you, fired up backing up a bit, I want to talk about Microsoft. Taking a look at the stock chart, you took over as CEO at like the worst time to take over as CEO, right? Yep. I mean, it's right when the stock was getting... What do you think of the market as a mechanism for communicating the truth? Because the Microsoft that's heading up today is the Microsoft that you are helping to build over that decade plus.
1: Well, Mr. Warren Buffett says the market is a... Uh, What does he say? Weighing machine. Uh, It's a voting. It's a weighing machine, not a voting machine in the long run. Look, I think we did a good job building profits Uh, over, over time. There's some correlation that's got to exist between profits and stock price, although this market has sort of said we're willing to be very long term patient with some some market caps that are way out of whack with the with the current earnings. But I feel like we did our job. Uh, our job was to drive up earnings, that's our controllable. The stock price is not our controllable. And I'm glad to see the company getting the recognition it deserves, not only for past work, but the work that's been done since I left, and I think, frankly, I don't think the stock price had any chance to move as long as I was CEO. People, had a, people were locked into a worldview about how things were, and sort of the change to CEO let people step back and say, okay, let's think about this thing again. We picked an incredible successor. He's doing an absolutely great job. And he was able to to get people to take a fresh look at the company.
0: I was surprised to hear you talk about wanting to get USA Fax data on Alexa. Because you used to be the guy, every time you walked into a room, you were looking to see how many Windows PCs there were versus everything else. Microsoft's got Cortana. doesn't exactly have uh, a device like the Echo, but has your philosophy changed?
1: No. No, we, any area in which Microsoft has a device, I'm all in, man. I'm a big shareholder. Those are my friends. I'm all in. There isn't the equivalent of an Echo now from Microsoft. There's some hardware partner thing, blah blah blah. You know, I'm all in on the Surface. Uh, Microsoft doesn't have a phone really right now, so I've kind of had to modify my view. But where Microsoft's in, I'm all in. How- Our locker room at the Clips. Yeah. We're gonna put in a Surface Hub.
0: <laughs> we are we are a Microsoft organization. Data is, a, is an important foundational layer to what's going on right now with artificial intelligence. How much of that was starting to percolate up uh, when you were leading Microsoft as CEO? And is it developing at the pace and in the way you were expected?
1: Yeah, I mean, my last years at Microsoft, three, four years, whatever, all we talk about is machine learning, machine learning, now it's people like AI again. Right. They like virtual reality. But basically the concepts that the computer can help Process what's going on in the world for you. Uh, that is a powerful concept, and there's it's got a lot of a uh, lot of different places. I think things have moved in some ways more slowly than I would have expected. Really? Yeah, I think augmented reality has come slower. I mean, we made yeah. this big investment. I was there in Hololens, and it takes a little bit longer, as it always does, in anything I know in tech to get things to land. And whether it's Microsoft or competition, uh, that's certainly what I've seen seen happen. But I'm glad to see the energy around the topic because it is the frontier of innovation.
0: I think it's really interesting you said that as long as you were CEO, that Wall Street wasn't really gonna give Microsoft the shot it deserved. I remember right around uh, that time, in the last couple years, Eric Schmidt said something about the four platform players that matter left Microsoft out. Now, I don't think most people who are really paying attention to the tech game would leave Microsoft out. How do you look at the platform players that matter? Would you count those five, um, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Facebook, as the ones that matter, or do you look at it differently?
1: Look, I think there's other guys who matter. It's just a question of what... I think Oracle still matters.
0: Okay. Absolutely. I mean,
1: I think the highlight in the press will be on anything that touches the consumer. Those five platforms all have a consumer face. Google, obviously, Facebook... Uh, uh, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. The other guys who I'd put on the list, they don't have a consumer face. Oracle, some people might put Salesforce on that list and it's in its own way, but the big five all have a consumer face. And yeah, I think those are the important ones. I think you have to have a consumer face. I think Surface, for example, has been and
0: Xbox, have been very important to Microsoft in terms of bringing alive a consumer face. For a long time, Microsoft was criticized by Larry Ellison, for one, for trying to do both enterprise and consumer. He said, you can't do them both. Now it's funny, Amazon is doing consumer facing retail and also doing enterprise in the cloud. Lots of people are doing it. You say it's essential now.
1: I I have always thought it was essential to stay a leading player because at the end of the day, uh, there's some decisions that get made in IT. There's some decisions that get made by line of business people or by real users and If you really want to be in a strong position, you want to be able to influence all all of those uh, uh, attack points. So the
0: Oracles and Ciscos of the world need to figure out consumer?
1: I'm not going to advise anybody on their business. (laughs) I I like the direction we took at Microsoft. I like the direction
0: Satya's got the company going today. Uh, What has that been like for you, easier or harder to watch somebody else run a company that you certainly helped to build? You're still the largest shareholder by my count. Yeah, the first year was hard. Uh, I mean,
1: we made a very good decision. Uh, two good decisions. Number one, well, I made a very good decision, I'll say. When I stepped away, I stayed on the board. I, I came off the board the day I bought the Clippers, which was whatever, August of uh, of 2014. It turns out that was really good. Not having me around, not having me, you know, sort of in the building. I've only been back in the Microsoft campus once, I think. Uh, since since I retired. Once? Yeah, I still see Microsoft people. We just don't meet on campus. It just meant, hey, this is your railroad, Satya. You go run it. I left the board, which I think was a great decision, both for me and for the company. Doesn't mean we don't speak as investors or in, or as friends. They welcome my product, or don't welcome, but certainly I get invited to give product feedback when I have it. I'll, <laughs> I'll shoot Satya a little note and he'll ask people to follow up. Uh, but I think it really was good for me to separate, and it was really good for the company.
0: Balmer hasn't been quiet in retirement. After he'd been gone for a couple years, he did an interview with Charlie Rose. In it, he seemed to predict Amazon's stock couldn't possibly defy gravity forever. At the time, Amazon was trading at around $290 a share. Today, it's up near 1000 a share you change your mind about Amazon?
1: Yeah, obviously, I would have been wrong on any, anything I ever thought about uh, Amazon valuation. They built an incredible asset. And the question is, what does that look like in the long term for profitability?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Another project he's spending time on, USA Facts. It's a trove of information about where our federal tax dollars really go. You can find it at USAFacts.org and play with the numbers yourself. Ballmer started digging after his wife asked him to get more involved in the Family Foundation's charitable work. Ballmer's passionate about making sure kids have the opportunity to do better than their parents did financially. I asked him if that passion is what motivated him to do this massive data project.
1: The work on USA Facts really quite separate, but what it did was highlight for, for me just how tough on some sets of kids in America, it is to advance economically compared to your parents. I mean, they're literally your kids where if you're born in the bottom 20%, it's a 50% chance that you stay there economically if you're as a kid. Mm -hmm. And that stuff just doesn't seem okay to me. So on the philanthropic side, my wife and I are asking how do we play a role in advancing uh, the cause, which really means not only giving, but also participating in whatever system reform needs to happen by government. Now, does it help that I'm also studying a little bit on the USA Facts side? What government does and where the money goes? Sure. So they sort of weave together, but they're really independent efforts.
0: How far are you willing to push your investment in USA Facts? You started off at 10 million. You're talking about hiring more people. You're talking about having state data. How big is this going to get?
1: I don't know. I mean, right now we're sort of one foot in front of the other. I'm not sitting here afraid of what it might cost. I mean, I've been very blessed and very fortunate. Um, you know, the bigger issue for me is, can we constantly make the data interesting to people so people are using our work product? And if people are wor- using our work product, it's not the money that's going to uh, uh, turn me off.
0: Do you have a big picture philosophy on what facts mean to democracy that's driving this?
1: Yeah, I will not remember the quote. Somebody gave me a Jeffersonian quote on this topic. but. Uh, something to the effect that if you want to have a representative democracy, you have to have an ed- educated citizenry. And uh, I think numbers are an important part of the education process because when push comes to shove, you're either writing a law or you're deciding how much money to put into something. Those are the, or you're, you're imposing regulation. Those are the real three tools of government. And we want to give good tools to understand the one that is grounded in, in numbers as opposed to words.
0: From a policy perspective, do you have an opinion on healthcare? It certainly affects whether people chose to go work for Microsoft. You guys had some mm-hmm. uh, pretty competitive benefits there. We're now making some changes in the country based on cost.
1: I think it's a, the most incredibly complicated issue you could possibly bring up. Okay. I mean, right now, my opinion, the biggest problem in healthcare is that normal market f- forces don't really work in most most markets an intelligent buyer and intelligent seller you know, you know what the price is, you decide whether you want to buy, there's a competitor, you understand what the product is, a phone's a phone, I want this guy's phone or that guy's phone. None of that works in healthcare. People don't understand the products, they're not priced. Uh, my wife and I got a bill for healthcare services that made it look like the price was X, but I knew the real price that our insurance company paid was Y. You know, here was our contribution, you can't understand it. And so this notion of how do you improve the value of healthcare delivery. How do you let people use their capitalistic forces, their buying power, to express what they really want? That that's not working the way it is in other sectors of the economy and yet healthcare is the biggest. I think that is a core issue before you get into a lot of the other policy matters. So we need USA health facts? We do. And if you look into USA facts, there's a lot of health cost data and guess what? It's an area where I want to add a lot, a lot more, because I think it's a super important one for people to understand. What do you want to add? Well, I'd really like to be able for people to see what the price is per procedure. We don't have that. We have for hospital stay. We can show you what the price is. We can show you the amount of money spent on Medicare this or Medicaid that or private insurance, blah, blah, blah. We can show you that. What I'd really like is what's the unit of work that we think of as patients? Mm. What What does that look like? What's the average cost of a knee replacement? What is the high price? What's the low price? How do you think about that? You know, I'd like to, I'd really like to get more active, but we're gonna have to comb more government data sources. We haven't found anything we really like
0: on that yet. Steve Ballmer retired from the Microsoft CEO job three and a half years ago. Then he bought the LA Clippers, the basketball team for $2 billion. Yeah, billion with a B. Steve Ballmer has that kind of money because he's the one person in the world who owns the most shares of Microsoft stock. What's that? You thought Bill Gates owned the most? Well, he did, but he's been selling a lot of it over the years. Not Steve Ballmer. He sold a little, but he's held on to most of it. More than 300 million shares, to be precise. So let's do a little arithmetic. 300 million times uh, around 71 bucks a share, which is about where Microsoft was trading at the beginning of June. That's... $21.3 $21.3 billion. When did you decide to buy the Clippers? <laughs> uh, the, the minute my son called me
1: and said, Dad, this team's going to sell. I knew I wanted to buy a basketball team. He says, you like L.A.? And he just, he watched what had happened in the newspaper, like, t- you know, 24 hours later. He said, Dad, I bet this team sells. And I said, okay, you're <laughs> probably
0: right, son. I'm all in. What surprised uh, you the most on the business side about how that's developed?
1: I'll tell you. Until you really get in the game, really understanding all about, you know, sort of luxury tax, salary cap, revenue sharing. Turns out they're tied together for some reasons I won't go through to a little bit of Arcania. Didn't understand that a lick compared to what I understand now. And, you know, some of the things I thought would happen economically won't, and some of the things, uh, some other things might happen. So, um, Is that a good thing? It's okay. I mean, look, at the end of the day, right now, since we talked about Amazon, you can think about the investment in a sports team is a little like an Amazon. You invite, you're investing in an appreciating asset that basically uh, delivers no profits. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, okay. that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, you can get a little dividend income out of it or at least avoid
0: a negative, a negative dividend, uh, that's good. You've been against uh, an income tax in Washington State, no, right? I'm not against no. an income tax You're in not? Washington State. No, I was asked
1: by somebody, would an income tax have an, a, a, an effect on business, and I okay. said yes, it will. I'm not expressing a point of view. It's like a lot of things in USA Facts. I will tell you. I mean, it's economics 101. Okay. If the price of something goes up, guess what? You're going to sell fewer units. The price of labor goes up, you might have fewer people employed. I'm not saying that it's right, wrong. Um, you know sort of our state legislature will get to make that decision our city governments will get to make that decision uh, but denying sort of supply and demand and economics I won't do that
0: I, I thought in 2010 you contributed against the effort for an, an income tax then have you changed yeah, or?
1: maybe I did I don't remember actually but okay. possible as CEO of Microsoft you have to say hmm. we brought a bunch of people here who were expecting a certain tax structure and you're right I, I did I forgot all about that People are expecting a certain tax structure. They built their lives expecting taxes of X, not Y. And uh, so change is hard on people. You say all of a sudden, hey, we're paying you X, but now 10% of that or whatever it is is going to go to the government. They say, well, maybe I would have taken a job in California instead. Right. So I think it's important to have consistency. And if the legislature decides it wants to change, that can happen. It should happen with plenty of lead time and plenty of notice and with full understanding that the laws of supply and demand will continue to work. I and mean, we're seeing this right now in the NBA, you know, salary cap. OK, mm-hmm. we can pay our players X. Uh, other guys can pay them X. But if you're in Texas, guess what? They have less taxes to pay on that income than if they're in California. Right.
0: And guess what? Some players will go play in
1: Texas for exactly that reason.
0: So, yeah, it's on my mind right now. There is a bit of a broader philosophical issue behind this, I guess. Is it a problem, you think, that there's this rift opening up, as you've shown in the data and USA Facts, between the rich and everyone else in America? Do you have an opinion about where that leads and whether it's a good place or not? Well,
1: I don't know. It's certainly the notion that says our country overall has to form decisions. The way things work in this country, It doesn't matter what your income is, everybody gets a vote. And that uh, collective needs to decide what it thinks about this issue. And it's not weighted. It's not like rich people get to vote more or poor people get to vote more. Everybody gets to vote. And I think that's an important topic. And if people think it's of prime importance, guess what? Somehow the system will evolve around that.
0: Last question, if you were just starting out right now in your career, what company would you be joining?
1: If I was just starting out now in my career, well, I'll tell you a funny story. I never thought I'd join a small company. My whole mindset as a kid, uh, or not as a kid, but as a young adult, was to go to a large company. You went to a large one first. Procter & Gamble. My dad was at Ford. I was thinking about joining Ford, actually, somewhere between first and second year business school when Bill called. Hmm. So my mindset is for a larger company. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when, when kids ask me today what kind of businesses they all want to talk about tech, I think getting into the energy business, broadly defined, which would include Tesla, I think there's going to be far as many opportunities to make a difference there as, as anything we'd find in information technology.
0: My thanks to Steve Ballmer. I'm John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed, and please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. Also, check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and YouTube. I'm taking your comments and questions most Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Fortnox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.